And good morning, everybody. How are you? Other than cold, how are you? Good to be glad you are here. If you weren't here earlier, our apologies. Our uh, furnace went out yesterday, and they are not able to get the parts to uh, repair it. So. Uh, for today, so uh, we apologize for the temperature in here, but thank you for being hearty and brave. And if you do get too chilled, the, the gathering area right out there is a little warmer, and you're welcome to go warm up out there if you have to. So anyway, Happy New Year. We're starting this five-week sermon series today called Bold Faith, because these are times where we need to be strong and courageous in light of the times that we live in. And one of the essentials to having bold faith is to have an accurate understanding of the times in which we live so that we understand, so that we know what God wants us to do. Sometimes we look around and we see the events of the world taking place around us as just sort of a bunch of random, isolated events. And uh, However, if we pause and take a look at the headlines in light of God's word, I believe that we'll see that they actually make a lot of sense. And so for that reason today, I'm going to be looking at Bible prophecy with you as we begin this new year. And this is actually one of the first, if not the first time in like 20 years that I'm not kicking off the new year with a sermon about setting godly goals. That's sort of my tradition, but that's how important I believe it is to hear this at this point in time. So don't despair. Tom's going to be preaching about goals in a few weeks, and uh, we'll get to it then. But most of you know that I love studying Bible prophecy. I love understanding how that relates to current events. And I love how Bible prophecy helps me understand the rest of Scripture. Now, Bible prophecy is about 28% of, of the Word of God. And so if we don't understand 28% of it, then it's hard to see how everything else fits. I also love to, the, the way that Bible prophecy gives us so much hope as we look toward the future. And so today we are going to look at prophecy and how the events in our world this past year have moved us closer to the day of Christ's return for us. So please listen to the words of 1 Corinthians 12. This is the source of my sermon title today, 1 Corinthians 12:32. From the sons of Issachar, men who understood the times with knowledge of what Israel should do. So this verse was written at a defining moment in the history of Israel, very much like the days you and I are living in right now. King Saul had just died, and the tribes of Israel were faced with this decision, who are we going to follow? Who do we trust to lead us? Some of the tribes chose to follow Saul's family, and others chose to side with David. So this was a defining time for Israel. It was also a time of some chaos and confusion. And the Holy Spirit inspired the historian to single out one group of leaders, calling them simply sons of Issachar. Why? because they understood the times and knew what they should do. They decided to follow King David, and they sent their electors to choose David to be their king. So I'm going to go back to verse 23 and see the context of what this is. Okay, <clears throat> These are the numbers of armed warriors who joined David at Hebron. They were all eager to see David become king instead of Saul, just as the Lord had promised. And so then the 
historian lists out the different tribes and those who came to Hebron to cast their lot for King David. Verse 32 then again says this, From the sons of Issachar, men who understood the times, with knowledge of what Israel should do, their chiefs were 200, and all their kinsmen were at their command. So remember that God had prophesied, God had chosen David to be their king, and anoint king, or, uh, the prophet Samuel had anointed him to be the next king of Israel. And the sons of Issachar recognized that that was God's plan, that the time had come for David. And so when Saul and his sons died in battle and the convention was held in Hebron to choose the next king of Israel, they sent this delegation of 200 chiefs or leaders to align with their new king. Now, Obviously, there's some parallels for our own day in our presidential election, right? Which is anything but over. And I have no idea which way that is going to go, but I am certainly praying for the truth about the elections and who won them to come out and for justice to be upheld. That would be a great thing for us all to be praying right now, for truth and justice to reign. Amen? But that really isn't my subject today. Today I want to take a look at Bible prophecy and all that's gone on this past year and how it's moved us closer to the day of Christ's return for us. Okay, This past year really does make a lot of sense if we view it in the context of prophecy. Another way to put this, and you've heard me say this many times, things are not falling apart in our world, they're simply falling into place. Not falling apart, but falling into place. First, I want to remind you of how we approach the Bible in terms of prophecy. There are different ways to interpret prophecy, and we take a very literal approach to it here at Lake City. Our teaching position is pre-tribulational and pre-millennial. It's based upon a dispensational view of the scriptures, and one thing that that means is that we don't believe in replacement theology, which is the view that the church has replaced Israel and will receive the promises God made to Israel. Okay? Also, key in this understanding that we have is that the next event in Bible prophecy to be fulfilled will be the rapture of the church. So here's a Bible prophecy chart that kind of shows this pictorially. We're living in this church age, the time between the first coming of Christ and the rapture of the church. And after the rapture of the church, that kicks off the seven years that the Bible calls the tribulation. So with that as introduction, I want to consider now the top five Bible prophecy stories of 2020. And this was inspired by a blog that I read a couple of weeks ago by Olive Tree Ministries called the Top 10 Bible Prophecy Stories of 2020. And it was basically this list of prominent events this last year that seemed most significant in terms of prophecy in the end times. And I knew we wouldn't have time to go to to look at 10 of them, so I picked a few of them, and I added a couple of my own, so essentially these are my own top five prophecy stories for 2020. Here's the first one, the rise of lawlessness. The rise of lawlessness. When the disciples asked Jesus about the signs of his coming, his return, and what the end of the age would be like, one of the things that he mentioned was the increase of lawlessness. And last summer when we studied 2 Thessalonians, we also saw this same sign mentioned by the Apostle Paul, highlighted by him. 
So let's go back to 2 Thessalonians 2 and read that. For that day, that's the return of the Lord, that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it, we believe that he who now restrains it refers to the Holy Spirit who's in us, the church. He who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way, until the rapture were taken out of here. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. So the man of lawlessness that Paul refers to here is the Antichrist who is coming just prior to the tribulation, coming to power during the tribulation, I should say. We're not in the tribulation today, but the birth pangs heading toward it are increasing. We're getting close, in other words. And we see the mystery of lawlessness that Paul was beginning to see in his day, where we see that spirit of lawlessness already at work, even ramping up in preparation for that day. In other words, we see the tribulation events already casting this shadow upon the church age that we're living in right now. So just think of all the anarchy and lawlessness that we saw this past summer in particular in our country. And some of that, you remember, began with the Black Lives Matter protests, and I certainly absolutely agree with the truth that Black Lives Matter we absolutely believe that, but I strongly disagree with Black Lives Matter as an organization because they're trying to replace our democracy with Marxism or socialism or communism of some form. They say that clearly. As Antifa and anarchists entered the fray, it became clear that this was being paid for and promoted by those who were promoting this neo-Marxist or socialist agenda for our country. You might remember this from Seattle, Chaz or Chop Zone up in Seattle. So here in America, the rule of law has been sort of disintegrating right before our eyes. I mean, who would have ever dreamed that we, we would be talking as a country about defunding the police? And if I had to guess, I'm no prophet, but if I had to guess... I think January could very well be a time of increasing anarchy and lawlessness as the battle over the elections takes to the streets in future weeks. So the enemy knows that this kind of chaos just plays into his hand. And the root of all of this chaos and lawlessness is the spirit of the Antichrist we just read. So prophecy story number one for 2020 is this increasing, this rise of lawlessness. Story number two is the peace efforts in the Middle East. The peace efforts in the Middle East. In Daniel 9.27, it says that the Antichrist is going to strengthen a covenant or a peace treaty between Israel and other nations at the beginning of the tribulation. And if he's going to strengthen a treaty, a covenant, that means that there's a covenant or peace treaty already in place. And we have certainly seen some historic peace efforts that have gone on in 2020. Personally, I believe that after the rapture of the church, the next event in Bible prophecy that's going to take place is the Ezekiel 38 war, 
the War of Gog and Magog, some call it. Listen to this description of the conditions of the Middle East at that time. This is from Ezekiel 38.8. In the distant future, you will swoop down on the land of Israel, which will be enjoying peace after recovering from war and after its people have returned from many lands to the mountains of Israel. So the Ezekiel 38 war that Ezekiel describes in this chapter for us is going to take place at a time characterized by peace and security for the nation of Israel. That's when this coalition of nations that are listed in the verses right before this, that's when they're going to swoop down and attack Israel. We'll come back to that in a minute, but here's my point. The Abraham Accord was a significant milestone of the past year. And it has resulted in normalizing relations between Israel and four other countries, the United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, Sudan, and Morocco. More countries are currently potentially in the process of joining it as well. And listen, beloved, this is huge news. This is a big, big deal. And it fits perfectly into Bible prophecy. As we read about the Middle East in Ezekiel 38, we have this picture of Israel living in peace and security and safety. And so in order for Ezekiel 38 to come to pass, this has to be set up. And that, I believe, is what the Abraham Accord is, has been about. Setting the stage for this to be a reality. And that's Bible prophecy story number two, the peace efforts in the Middle East. Here's story number three, the oil, gas, and economic strength of Israel. The oil and gas and economic strength of Israel. Fifteen years ago, Joel Rosenberg wrote his acclaimed book, The Epicenter. I've mentioned that to you and talked about that in the past. Joel Rosenberg is a Messianic Jew who wrote about Ezekiel 38 and the War of Gog and Magog. And he gave in that book ten future headlines that we should be looking for in this period leading up to the tribulation, leading up to this war. Here's what he wrote, I quote, Two things must occur before Israel's last day showdown with Russia and Iran. The first prerequisite is that there must be a period of calm and stability in Israel before the war of Gog and Magog. That's what we just talked about. The second is that Israel must build up significant wealth, end quote. So headline number one is happening right before the eyes, these peace efforts in the Middle East. And headline number two, this economic strength, he, what he says, what he said, look for the headline of gas and oil being discovered in Israel. Economic strength, significant wealth. You say, well, where did Joel Rosenberg get that from? Let's look at Ezekiel 38 again. This is verses 10 to 13. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. At that time, evil thoughts will come to your mind and you will devise a wicked scheme. You will say, Israel is an unprotected land filled with unwalled villages. I will march against her and destroy these people who live in such confidence. I will capture vast amount of plunder for the people are rich with livestock and other possessions now. But Sheba and Dedan and the merchants of Tarshish will ask, do you really think the armies you have gathered can rob them of silver and gold? 
You think you can drive away their livestock and seize their goods and carry off their plunder. So Israel describes this day that is coming for the Ezekiel 38 war in which Israel is rich and in a position of economic strength uh, right before this war takes place. And it's commonly recognized today that Israel is now the eighth strongest power in our world, the eighth strongest country in the world. For example, because of the oil and gas contracts that they have signed just recently and which began production this past year, they are now an energy superpower. So here's a photo of the Leviathan gas fields in the Mediterranean Sea just off the coast of Israel. And they have began exporting natural gas to other countries in the Middle East December 31st, 1919, so the day before last year. So this last year has been a year of great oil gas production for Israel. And even by conservative estimates, the Leviathan gas field has enough gas to meet Israel's domestic needs for the next 40 years. It's a huge reserve. And for the first time in Israel's history, they have become a significant exporter of natural gas. Israel used to buy it from Egypt, and now Egypt is buying it from Israel. It's cheaper for them to do that. In addition, Greece and other European countries are helping Israel build this huge pipeline from the Leviathan gas field to the island of Crete and then up to Greece. And it's being laid on the uh, bottom of the Mediterranean Sea to, to take that gas to southern Europe. Listen, one of the big reasons why Russia entered the conflict in Syria years ago was their hopes to have access to the oil fields in northern Syria. But that did not work out for them. That was a bust for them. And they desperately need the revenues from selling oil and gas like that. And I believe they're going to be tempted to try to take it away from Israel by force. That's the picture that we see being described in Ezekiel 38. Ezekiel 38.10 again says this, You will devise an evil scheme, and you will say, I will go up against the land of unwalled villages to seize spoil and carry off plunder. What is the motive behind the coming Ezekiel 38 war? Well, Ezekiel highlights the primary motive being one of economic plunder. As of 2020... Israel, as I said, has become an energy superpower. And by the way, it is also a technology superpower and a cybersecurity superpower and a medical superpower and a financial and military superpower in the world today. So imagine that, this tiny, small country, roughly the size of the state of Vermont, is now the eighth most powerful nation in the world. Beloved, that is a God thing. That is a God thing. And so the third prophetic highlight of 2020 is that Israel has become this energy powerhouse and her economic strength sets the stage for other countries to come against her and to try to take her spoil. Here's the fourth story. The Ezekiel 38 Alliance of Nations. 
Ezekiel 38, Alliance of Nations. So three of the countries that Ezekiel named in that chapter as allies in this coming war are Russia and Turkey and Iran. We see those as the big three. There's other minor players mentioned as well, but those are the big three. Iran and Turkey have increased their rhetoric against Israel these past few years. For example, President Erdogan has openly declared just recently that he wants to regain control of Jerusalem. Specifically, he's been saying that he wants to bring control of Jerusalem back to the Turks who controlled it for more than 400 years during the Ottoman Empire. Erdogan is currently provoking a conflict with Israel that appears over the construction of that pipeline across the Mediterranean Ocean. He claims that those international waters, that he has control of those and they can't build it there. Ezekiel 38 also talks about Persia, modern-day Iran, as one of the big three that is going to come against Israel along with Russia and Turkey. So how interesting that in 2020, we witnessed the assassination of two key Iranian leaders. Remember that? First, last January, General Soleimani was taken out in Iraq. He was assassinated in Iraq. And then just a couple of months ago in November, a nuclear scientist named Dr. Fakhridzadeh, something like that, the brains of the Iranian nuclear program was assassinated right there in Iran, likely by the Israeli Mossad. And of course, Iran, if you've been listening to the news in recent days, you know that they are vowing revenge right now for that. By the way, in just the last two weeks, the U.S. has moved additional naval vessels and two more B-52 bombers into the Persian Gulf region to send a not-so-subtle message to Iran. And the photo behind me shows a B-52 being fueled in midair, which is how they make that 30-hour nonstop flight from North Dakota to the Middle East. U.S., the United States, did a flyover of the Gulf for the second time this past Wednesday, so, what, three, four days ago? as a show of force meant to deter Iran from attacking U.S. or allied targets in the Middle East. Don't miss the point, though. The nations that are listed in Ezekiel 38 are lining up in their alliances and in their motivation to carry out their prophetic roles. The Iranians want to resurrect. Here's a map that shows some of the nations that are mentioned in Ezekiel 38. So Iran or Persia right here wants... Uh, to resurrect the Persian Empire. Erdogan here in Turkey, called Meshach and Tubal in Ezekiel 38, wants to resurrect the Ottoman Empire. And Putin up here in Alaska, excuse me, in Russia, uh, up in the north, called Gog and Magog, wants to resurrect the days of the czars in Russia. All three are hoping to resurrect the glory days of their countries the power and prominence they held in the world. And according to Ezekiel 38, Russia is going to lead the way for their financial reasons, and Iran and Turkey will join for their own reasons. Everyone will have their reasons. And God could see that 2,700 years ago, and the prophet Ezekiel, therefore, is more accurate than today's newspapers. By the way, when we read the passage in Ezekiel 38, we also read about Sheba and the Dan and the merchants of Tarshish. So 
Sheba is believed to be Saudi Arabia, and Dedan is believed to be some of these uh, Arab countries next door, who most interestingly are signing these peace agreements, these uh, naturalizing agreements with Israel right now. So in the, just the last six months, these countries, these Arab countries, have been normalizing relationships. And no Middle East analyst saw that coming. They, that was not predicted. But God's word is the way and the truth and the life. No one saw that coming, but God did. And God told us exactly what to expect and beloved, we need to go to the Word of God if we want to know what to expect in the last days, what, what is coming in our future, because these are the days we are living in. These are the days of Ezekiel. And we must understand that God's Word is more accurate than any analysis, human analysis, of what's going on in the Middle East. Otherwise, we're going to miss out on what's really going on and not be prepared for it. The final headline, the fifth and final one for 2020 that aligns with Bible prophecy is the story of the rise of globalism. The rise of globalism. And in my opinion, this is actually the biggest headline of all for the last year. So the Bible predicts in the book of Daniel and in Revelation 13 that a ruthless one world government will arise at the end of the age headed by the most evil dictator our world has ever known. And according to scriptures, there will be ten leaders who form an alliance that make up this last world empire, the revived Roman Empire. And the final leader of that alliance, that one world government, will be none other than the Antichrist himself. And a close look at Revelation 13 reveals that the Antichrist will use a one-world economy for his one-world government and a one-world religion to maintain his power and to control, to control it. In fact, during the last three and a half years of the tribulation, we learn that no one will be able to buy or sell without the mark of the beast. And I believe that we are beginning to experience the birth pangs of that even now. Listen, beloved, the coronavirus is related to this, in my own opinion. And the global elites in the world today have been planning for this, as is evident, very evident, if you read their goals that they have put out on their websites. They've spelled out very clearly their goals and how they're going to take power. Okay? One of the most powerful organizations promoting globalism is called the World Economic Forum, WEF, World Economic Forum. They celebrate their 50th anniversary this month, and they meet every year in Davos, a ski resort in the Eastern Alps region of Switzerland. Here is their stated purpose. This is from their website. Say, we are committed to improving the state of the world by engaging business, political, academic, and other leaders of society to shape global, regional, and industry agendas. That sounds pretty good, right? Pretty positive until you understand what they mean by improving. Okay, so globalism is their goal, and it's a group of very elite, the most wealthy people in the world who want to make the decisions for the entire world. 
And they have a very detailed plan that is spelled out on their website. It's very clearly given to change the world to conform to their vision of what's best by 2030. By 2030. Catch that. So here's a one-minute video they produced. It's a propaganda video of, that gives us an idea of what they have in mind for us. So let's watch that together. That gives you a little bit of an idea what their agenda is. Things like open borders, Green New Deal, abolishing private property and privacy in the very near future, in the next nine years, which is communism at its core, if you stop and think about it. And they have been talking about this for many years and how they plan to use the next pandemic to implement their plans to gain control of the world. The arrival of the virus this past year has been used to further their agenda, to usher in what they call the Great Reset. Have you heard of the Great Reset? Please be listening for those words. And I realize this sounds a little bizarre if you haven't heard about this already. Please don't take my word for this. Please do your own research. Google World Economic Forum, the Great Reset, One World Government. Study this for yourself. Their plan includes the removal of America as the world power, the leading world power. And the decline of America is a very big key to their overall agenda, which is why they've invested so much money into those who are willing to see the decline of America, to push socialism and Marxism. And so when President Trump was elected to office four years ago, understand that it slowed down their vision, their plans dramatically. Understand that globalism is the exact opposite of nationalism. And so they have been in a panic ever since to get rid of him and to replace him with leaders in America who support their globalist agenda. Listen friends, COVID-19 is a key part of their strategy. In one sense, the virus it could be considered a, a separate 2020 prophecy story in itself since Jesus predicted pestilences in the end times, right? But I chose to put it under globalism because in my opinion, at this point, the primary thing it is being used for is as a tool to implement globalism. 
So please don't misunderstand me. I am saying that they are using COVID-19 to push their agenda and their purposes. I am not saying that it's not a real virus. It is a real virus. It's a deadly killer. There's no debate about that. And I know that many of you have been impacted by it. Some of you have even lost loved ones from it. You've talked to me about that. But I will also say this. I believe that it has been exaggerated and politicized to keep people paralyzed by fear and in chaos. To use it as a pretense to push globalism to get achieve their agenda. Listen, please don't be fooled by the statement they are simply following the science and the data. You can interpret data and make it prove almost anything you want. And by the way, these same scientists who are using da the data to scare people about the virus are the same ones who say that science and the data prove evolution, who prove global warming and things that we know are not true. But science has become a religion, as it were, in our world today. Every scientist has his own presuppositions, and you better not question theirs or you will be canceled. That's how the world we live in right now. Again, globalists have a plan. It's called One World Government, New World Order. It requires removing Donald Trump from the White House. And they have weaponized the virus to help them achieve that goal. And they just might succeed. We will see in the next few weeks. That is the way that I can make sense of what has happened, what's gone on in our world the last nine months or so. Now, I know some of you might be, if you haven't been hearing about this already, you might be thinking, Jim, that sounds like conspiracy theory. I think you're a little crazy. I invite you to disprove what I'm saying. Study this for yourself, and I invite you to show me where this is false. Again, globalists have been planning for the Great Reset for years. It's all over their literature, their websites. But little do they know that the great reset for us as Christians is going to be the rapture. Okay? In other words, the great escape precedes the great reset and the great tribulation. Hallelujah? Amen. So that's my short list of prominent events in 2020 that have end time significance that fit into Bible prophecy. And I understand it could be a little distressing to hear some of those things, but I want you to understand this. This also heralds an imminent event that many believers have been longing for, and that is the return of our Lord Jesus Christ, the King of Kings. Jesus is coming back for his church, and that's called the rapture. And it could happen any day. There is nothing, prophetically speaking, that needs to happen before Jesus comes for us. Hallelujah. So, here's what I encourage you to be looking for in 2021. Remember what Jesus said. Jesus said this, All these things are the beginning of the birth pangs. The worst of the birth pangs will take place in the tribulation. But we see a foreshadowing of these horrific things right now in the church age as we see that day approaching. And what we see happening today is minor in comparison to the suffering that is going to happen in the tribulation. But the stage is still being set for that today, right now. 
All of the earth is groaning in anticipation. And so the question is, as these birth pangs intensify, what should we be looking for? What should we be aware of? Here's the first one. Be looking for an increasing push toward globalism. Keep your eye out for talk about the Great Reset in the days ahead. Listen for talk about the World Economic Forum in Davos later this month. Look for attempts to get rid of Trump at any cost and his nationalism that is this huge hindrance to their agenda. Number two, look for rising oppositions against Christians. There's going to be rising opposition against Christians. We've seen this past year that churches, Christians in America have been some of the most vocal to push back against some of this globalism, tyrannical agenda that is being pushed down our throat. Churches were shut down or marginalized in a great way. Christians in some places were fined and harassed and even arrested just for wanting to meet and worship. All of that, of course, is protected by the Constitution of the United States. But far worse, in other parts of the world, in particular in the Mideast and Africa, Christians were slaughtered by the thousands this past year. The most ever in the history of the world, martyred for their faith. And it's a reminder of what Jesus said, a day is coming when you will be hated for my name. Jesus said to look for that, to be ready for that. Look for number three, look for growing delusion and lawlessness. Growing delusion and lawlessness. 2020 was a year of great delusion in our country and in our world. And if we are where I believe we are on the prophetic calendar, I expect that that's just going to grow in the days ahead. And along with that lawlessness, anarchy and chaos because that's what the Bible predicts and because that's part of the agenda to bring in this globalism. Anarchy and chaos create the atmosphere where people will be willing to give up their freedoms and to give power to someone to take control and to bring things back to normal. Here's number four. Look for a great emphasis on the vaccine a great emphasis on the vaccine. The World Economic Forum, if you look at their materials, they have 30 stated goals they want to achieve by 2030. 30 goals, 17 of them relate to a vaccine. So don't expect the talk about a vaccine to go away anytime soon. In addition to an emphasis on the vaccine, we can also expect, I believe, to hear about related things like health passports. IBM, for example, is developing a digital health passport. Okay? They're making that for us right now. So health passports, digital health passports, someday soon perhaps, implantable chips to prevent them from being counterfeited. Can anyone say the mark of the beast? Okay, by the way, I do not believe that the vaccine is the mark of the beast. I've heard some people say that. It certainly could set the stage for the mark of the beast and even morph into it after the church is raptured. 
The mark of the beast, though, as I understand it, is going to start at the midpoint of the tribulation, so I don't expect it to see it while we're here. But once we're out of here, it could very well be implemented. It will be implemented. And we might, we I believe are seeing the stage set for it even today, the technology prepared for it right now. But we don't need to fear that as followers of Christ. Number five, there will also be a longing for a savior. A longing for someone to just make things right again. With the world in this meltdown mode, millions of people are looking for anything or anyone to bring back peace and prosperity and to just make things normal again. Listen, beloved, he is waiting in the wings. Those who have rejected Jesus Christ will cheer for a short season for the Antichrist who will have a great plan of how to bring things back to normal and how to calm the chaos and how to make things secure again. There will be a longing for somebody to just make things right. In the meantime, how should we then live? How should we live our lives today as followers of Jesus Christ? Three next steps. And I draw these from the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 16. They certainly fit our day very well. Paul wrote this, be on guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong. I think that's a very good word for us today. First, be on guard. Beloved, we're in a battle for what we think. The battlefield in many ways is one of deception and chaos. And the enemy wants to control the conversation, what we hear and what we end up believing. So we have to be on guard against disinformation. To be on guard means to be watchful, to be awake. One translation of that particular word is be vigilant. Peter used that very same word in 1 Peter 5. Listen to his use. Peter writes, be sober, be vigilant. There it is. Or be on guard because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. If we want to have bold faith, we need to feed ourselves on truth. We have to be vigilant to guard against disinformation and deception. And to help guide our thinking about what's going on in our day, I want to recommend two great resources again to you. The first one is a website by Amir Sarfati, a Messianic Jew who lives in Israel. His website is, and it's hard to see, but it's beholdisrael.org. Beholdisrael.org. He gives a weekly prophecy update to help us understand what's going on in our world today, and I highly recommend that. Also is a great book called The End, written by Mark Hitchcock, that is just about all things Bible prophecy and what's coming in the end. So I, those two resources. Another one that I didn't put up here is Olive Tree Ministries and their weekly update as well. Olive Tree Ministries website. All right, next step number two is I will be courageous. We need to be brave and we need to be courageous in these days, and we need to do things that require courage and strength. That's just part of living by faith. 
In other words, expect opposition to increase and don't back down from doing what you know God wants you to do. I love the story of Daniel's courage in Daniel chapter 6. It's when the king of Babylon made a decree that everyone must worship him and everyone was to pray only to him for the next month. Otherwise, the king said, you'll be thrown into the lion's den. So what did Daniel do when he heard about this new decree by the king? Well, Daniel 6.10 says this. We read, He went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God just as he had done previously. So Daniel did not give in to the new decree. He didn't obey it. But he didn't make a fuss and he didn't make a big uh, march against the king or whatever. He just quietly went on doing what God had told him to do. Kept on praying just as he'd always done. Didn't even try to hide it. Didn't shut the windows. And beloved, I believe he's a very good model for us. We need to be courageous as we obey God and serve him the rest of our days here on earth. Next step, number three. I will be strong in the faith. I will be strong in the faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And if we want to have bold faith, we need to have a daily intake of God's word in our hearts. God gave Joshua a fantastic promise at another defining moment in Israel's history. Moses had died. Joshua was stepping in as the new leader. Listen to this promise. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. We don't need to be afraid. We can stand strong and be courageous, but we do that by meditating on God's word day and night. And I want to suggest as we begin a brand new year, this would be a great time to set a godly goal to read through the Bible in 2021. That's the place to start. The goal is to read through the Bible in 2021. And if you don't already have a Bible reading plan for the new year, I suggest that you adopt the one that many of us have adopted here at church this year. It's called the One Year Bible. It's on version, And here are some easy ways that you can sign up to uh, join us in the plan. There's a link on your sermon notes today. If you have the app and have those open, you can just click on that link. You can find the link in the church newsletter that comes out by email every Friday. Uh, you can email Pastor Mark Gothier at mark.gothier at lc3.com. You can call the church office and we'll help you. But we invite you to join us. It's going to be powerful to do that together. All right, I'm going to ask you to join me as we look to the Lord in prayer. We're preparing our hearts now as we transition for the Lord's table, but let's pray together as we do that. Bow with me, please. Father God, we thank you for the blessed hope that you have given us, that Jesus is coming back for us to take us home to be with you. And thank you that you have described in some detail what's coming in our world. Not 
to cause us to be afraid or not to satisfy our curiosity, but to prepare us. And so we know what to look for and so we are ready. Strengthen us and give us great hope, I pray. And I pray for our country today. I pray for America that you would protect us from those who would like to destroy it. And I pray that truth and justice around the elections would be known and would be maintained. Whatever that is, Lord, we pray for the truth to come out. We pray for justice to be done. And in the meantime, God, until you come for us, we ask, God, that you would help us to be on guard and to be strong and to be courageous as we live our lives for you. And then I want to close with this invitation. Friend, maybe you're here today or maybe you're listening online today and you've never received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. I want to give you an opportunity to do that today, to know your sins are forgiven and that you will be taken away in the rapture to live in heaven with the Lord on that day. And here's how you do that. Just pray in your heart of hearts. Just silently say something like this. Say, Father, I want your forgiveness. I know your word says I can't earn your forgiveness, but I can receive it as a gift by putting my faith in Jesus. And so I believe that his death and resurrection covered my sin paid for my forgiveness, and I receive that gift today. Father, we thank you for your love and for your forgiveness in Christ. And we thank you, Lord, that we need not fear because our help comes from you. You are sovereign, and you are at work, and you will give us the strength to follow you and to serve you until you come back for us. We love you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.